0: Welcome to DAC Beechcroft's LawCast. My name's Stuart Wallace, Senior Associate in the Clinical Risk Team here at DAC Beechcroft. Uh, This podcast follows our two-part series on AI med tech related issues that went out earlier this year. In the first edition, we looked at AI and technology in the NHS with Tom Lawton, Head of Clinical Artificial Intelligence at Bradford Teaching Hospitals, NHS Foundation Trust. Uh, In the second edition, we looked at um, the insurance side of things with Richard Hearn at Howden Group. Uh, these podcasts come off the back of DAC Beechcroft's AI and Healthcare report, which brought together leading clinicians, regulators, developers, investors and lawyers to discuss the ways that AI technology is transforming the UK's health system. Uh, our aim within these podcasts really is to continue the conversations from that report. In this edition, we consider the issue of liability in the AI and medtech context. I have with me Kit Fotheringham. From the University of Bristol Law School alongside Tom Lawton. Firstly Tom welcome back, uh, it's great to have you here again and I'm very much looking forward to hearing what you have to say on this topic.
1: Thank you.
0: Before, before we get into that though Kit, um, it'd be great if you could just introduce yourself to our listeners in a bit more detail.
2: Yes certainly, uh, so I'm Kit Fotheringham and I'm a postgraduate researcher in law at the centre for global law and innovation at the university of bristol law school i've written two papers with dr helen smith who is a registered nurse uh, and is now a research associate at the center for ethics and medicine also at the university of bristol Uh, those two papers are open access so they're available for anybody to download and read for free and we encourage you to do so Um, the Easiest way to find them is probably just to search for Dr. Helen Smith and Kip Fotheringham at the University of Bristol. You'll find them easily on our research profiles there. Um, But the two papers in question are Artificial Intelligence in Clinical Decision Making, Rethinking Liability. And the second is Exploring Remedies for Defective Artificial Intelligence Aids in Clinical Decision Making in Post-Brexit England and Wales.
0: Brilliant, Kit. Uh, we, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you in a minute to sort of kind of um, give us a high-level summary of what those papers are, if that's okay. Uh, what, what I want to just say before we get into that is that I, I haven't got any particular view myself, um, and I'm not seeking to impart any sort of legal advice on these matters. I think my role really in this podcast is to, to act as a facilitator a conversation between you, Kit, as our academic expert, and uh, you, Tom, as our, as our clinical expert. Kit, as you've said there, you've already published work in this area already, and um, as, has, uh, as has Tom, um, and as you said, the work, that work's already out there in the wider domain. I think yours is Tom 2, is it? Have I got that right?
1: Uh, yes. So um, we have uh, the, well, we've got a number of papers up uh, on various aspects of AI, but uh, the latest one we're working on at the moment is actually on a preprint server um and it's uh talking about liability sinks which is is similar to the sort of moral crumple zones that uh, i think kit has talked about in in his papers Um obviously focusing on liability rather than uh, ethics
0: yes yeah yeah okay all right well i think we've got to a point here where it would be great if you could give us a, a, a just a, a high level summary both of the work that, that you've you've done and are doing i think probably let's start with kit as, as the academic kit if you want to It'd be great to, if you could just sort of summarise what those papers <clears throat> look at and and go into, and then we'll 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 get to we'll get to Tom.
2: Certainly. So uh, this all grew out of a conversation that we had pre-COVID um, over a coffee in an afternoon, where Helen came to me, and with her background in hospitals and nursing, she knew of problems with liability and having to defend claims and was asking me as her lawyer friend, uh, how is the law structured around that? So within about an afternoon and several cups of coffee later, I'd pretty much taught her um, first year undergraduate taught, um, which was a feat in and of itself. And out of that conversation, we realized actually there is a big problem here. Uh, in that the way current negligence doctrines are structured uh, means that there's an uneven spread of liability between clinicians and software developers developing medtech applications. Uh, The second paper uh, looks more in depth at potential routes uh, for product liability which is a form of liability which doesn't require any proof of fault and that might be an easier route to compensation for patients who might be harmed uh, by a defective um, application
0: i see yeah okay i've I should say I've, I've read both of those uh, articles and they are that they are they are very very interesting um it kind of took me back to University days, of reading um, academic papers, which I, which, which, as a lawyer at the coalface now, we don't really tend to do very much. So it's quite nice um, being able to do that. Um, Tom,
1: uh, yes. Yeah, so um, my own interest in this um, came from a, a history of working with the Assuring Autonomy International Program at the University of York, um, but more specific to, to this aspect of it. Um, it's in my role, um, clinically dealing with AI and AI companies come along and they try and sell us something and it sounds great. And the, uh, question I always ask is around safety and, um, potential liability. And invariably the answer that these companies come out with is don't worry. We put a clinician as the final check. They, they have the final say and you know, therefore things are safe. And the assumption there is that the clinician is is taking on the liability for the system as a whole because they are the the final check that that says whether whether things are okay and and every single ai company seems to just throw this this clinician in there and um, and it's potentially less problematic for the kind of ai systems that we're using clinically at the moment these tend to be the radiology systems they're more advisory in that they are highlighting areas of an x-ray that might be relevant saying you know here's something that that you might want to look at um i think there's a pneumothorax up here or something like that Um, but as we move into more clinical decision support systems i.e sort of treatment recommendations things like that then this this concept of, of the liability sink becomes much more problematic and I worry that clinicians end up potentially sleepwalking into this problem um, with with the software development companies just sort of happily sticking them in this place where they don't understand um, what's going on because it's a black box AI system, but are expected to take some form of legal responsibility for it. Um, and we've been funded um, by the Medical Protection Society Foundation, which is a new funding body set up by the Medical Protection Society, one of the big defence organisations in, in healthcare in the UK, um, to explore um, this with um, uh, real clinicians um, and um, actor patients, looking at different models of AI use in clinical decision support and l- looking at the legal and um, ethical implications of those different models. Um, the, the study's ongoing. We've had some sort of interesting results so far, which uh, obviously haven't been written up yet, but we have a uh, uh, paper sort of uh, exploring the problem out currently in, in preprint and going through peer review. Um, but it's available on all three if you look for um, Liability Sync. And my name Tom Lawton, you'll, you'll find it.
0: Yeah, again, which, I, which I've looked at, and it's, it's there's, some, there's some fascinating stuff in there. And I want to get into that in a bit more detail, actually, now in terms of the issues That both of you see kit kit with your academic hat on and tom with your clinical hat on getting into a bit more detail around um the issues that 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 exist in in the context of ai and medtech on 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 the issue of liability and really i mean i want you guys really to 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 have a chat amongst yourselves um if if that's all right around around that but firstly looking at the, the the issues that presently exist Uh,
2: Yes, I'm happy to jump in there. Um, So I would agree with Tom that a lot of that seems to fall unfairly on the shoulders of clinicians, um, whereas as a whole, um, it should be a shared enterprise between uh, those who are providing the care at the coalface, the clinicians, the nurses, the doctors, um, our wonderful NHS staff, uh, as well as um those who are uh, innovating and creating uh, these new um devices uh and the problem comes with uh that intervention um where the clinician is put in between the patient and the machine uh and as tom lawton uh indicated That does lead to what we've called in our paper, a moral crumple zone, um, where all of that liability comes on one side of that, on the clinician's side, uh, because they're the one most close to the patient. And in law, um, through the doctrine of novus actus interveniens, uh, the new intervening act, that means that because of their close proximity to the claimant, um, they are responsible for mitigating any damage that occurs to the claimant. Um, Now, the problem with that is that it doesn't reflect the full amount of risk that exists in that space, because some of that risk didn't come out of the clinical environment at all. It came from the design and operation of uh, those um, medical devices, Uh, So what Helen and I looked at was the model proposed under the Automated and Electric Vehicles Act 2018 uh, that was trying to solve a similar problem with self-driving cars uh, where the emphasis there is putting the, the claimant first because it's more important that the claimant is able to swiftly recover and get the compensation that they need in order to do that um, and how can that liability be pooled in such a way um, that gives swift justice for the claimant and allocates that risk fairly amongst everybody else?
0: That, that, that's, that's interesting, Kit. What I'm, I'm, what I'm interested to pick up on there, Tom, Tom mentioned, obviously, that you've got, you've got a scenario where you've got a, um, an X-ray, you know, an AI interpreting an X-ray uh, and, and in that scenario, it's, it's fairly simple. You've got the eye interpreting the X-ray, then you've got the clinician, then you've got the output. Um, but I think Tom had mentioned there about um, potentially different scenarios where it becomes a bit more grey in terms of the AI, the technology that the that the, the that's being used. Can we can we explore that further? Yeah, I think uh,
1: certainly having having read its papers here and I largely agree on what the problem is and maybe our sort of area of disagreement or well, not disagreement, but um, the, the sort of different approaches that we've suggested is is how we deal with it. And the approach that I suggest, I mean, I'm a clinician, so I don't know, don't, don't know the law well enough, um, but it's a, a, a clinical solution. And it's based on the idea that clinicians are actually very happy to soak up liability we do it all the time and so it's not necessary to remove the liability from us necessarily Um, but what it is necessary to do is to put us in a position where we are comfortable taking on that liability and the distinction that i try and make is between ai systems which um, act to provide information to a clinician to help them make a decision and AI systems that try to make that decision themselves. Um, a radiology system, most of the radiology systems that are the AI radiology systems that are in use at the moment, they will um, draw circles around areas of an X-ray or um, do things that kind of highlight something to a clinician. And you can see an analogy in um, medical records-based um, AI systems where. There's a massive amount of information made available to clinicians nowadays with electronic records. There is far too much for me to possibly get through when I see a patient in the sort of 10, 15 minutes I might have in the morning. Mm. Um, An AI system might go through and pull out the things that are useful, things that are relevant to me, for me to make the decision, but explicitly me to make that decision based on the information surfaced by the AI as opposed to an AI system, which actually makes a recommendation on a treatment, which could be wrong, and which I may not fully understand its rationale for making. Um, And to to take the point that Kit was making earlier around the the liability sink or moral crumple zone, it actually gets even worse once you consider the system with the AI in it, because it's been um, demonstrated time and time again, and we've we've had a number of discussions with our patient panel on our project, that actually disagreeing with the AI is incredibly bad for the clinician um, and for the system as a whole. Um, there's a, a lovely paper, um, When Does Physician Use of AI Increase Liability? Um, looking at um, the responses of, I mean, they call them prospective jurors in the USA. I mean, Essentially, it was a survey sent out to uh, to yeah, people um, in the post who are obviously all prospective jurors. Yeah, um, yeah saying that uh, when a clinician disagrees with AI, that disagreement is considered unreasonable in itself, even if the AI was doing something um, non-standard and the clinician was sort of bringing the AI back to to let's do the standard treatment. So the clinician is in a really, really difficult position when they disagree with AI. And we'd always assumed that the disagreements with AI was going to be when the AI is doing something that's so obviously wrong that, that of course, we need to disagree with the AI. But actually, AI is generally pretty good. I mean, most of the time, the, the uh, decision is going to be something like the AI um, would have been right sort of, you know, given the correct treatment 20% of the time, i.e. This, this, this may not be the ideal treatment, but sometimes it's going to be the right treatment. And the human wanted to pick the one that was going to be right 80% of the time. But again, 20% of the time, we end up with the patient suffering. Um, the human is going to be really, really tempted to go with the AI's decision, even though it might not appear to be the optimal one to them. And that, that's the real concern going forwards, that, that we start sort of, it's not quite automation bias, it's almost, almost a sort of conscious automation bias of clinicians doing what AI says, even though they're not 100% in agreement with it
0: yeah that's interesting, Kate, Have you got a view on that?
2: Uh, yes, and I think our view is that we want clinicians to be able to apply their judgment um you know their professional expertise, and that can involve um a i and other med tech applications and I think yeah, you know it's it's those other twenty percent of cases that's what we're worried about um and that's why. We tried very hard in our papers. We're trying to put the patient first um, because if in those unfortunate um, cases that the patient does get harmed um, as a result of that assemblage of both the clinician and the AI, then how do you apportion that risk between all of the parties? And uh, that's where we think that risk should be shared whilst at the same time um, allowing for a route to liability and a route to claim that is quick and easy and straightforward um, uh, for the patient. So, And this is what the model um, of the Automated Electrical Vehicles Act looks at. So there they um, treat the claim as against an insurer and so long as the facts are borne out, the insurer must pay out. That's what the law says under that scheme. Now, that scheme's not yet in operation because we don't have self-driving cars with enough autonomy um, for that to happen. But that is a scheme that all of the insurers have signed up to, and it's it's uh, in the statute there. Um, now, uh, it translating that over onto the medical side, um, of course, there would need to be... Uh, a tailored approach to that but we would see you know our ideal route to liability or route to compensation um is that the patient is able to receive compensation so long as the facts are borne out but for that precise apportionment of risk and liability and how much each of the parties contribute towards uh damages for example um that should be a separate argument, you know, or separate arrangements um, made. It might be on a case-by-case basis. It might be on a group basis. Currently, the way that the doctrines are structured doesn't allow for that nuanced discussion to happen.
0: No, that, that's, that's, that's interesting. Just on the point that Tom made there about uh, that, that, Amer- uh, that American paper around, um, you know, if a, if a clinician, effectively a clinician disagrees with the AI, they are, they are negligent. Notwithstanding the fact that the AI itself may have been negligent, have you got a view on that?
2: Um, yes. I mean, it, it's interesting uh, that the survey participants are cast as potential jurors. And I think this is where the same people, if they were patients, would, you know, and they were asked to put themselves in, in the view of a patient, would see it completely differently. Um, I'm sure quite a lot of those people would change their response based on their position within that. So if they are there looking at, you know jurors i'm going how are we going to you know who are we going to hold liable here you might well say yeah the clinician because they should you know they should use all the tools at their disposal that's a reasonable argument to make but as a patient what you're concerned about is i've been harmed i need the compensation in order to help my recovery i need that quick and i and i'm not really concerned as to whether it's the clinician or the developer of the um machine um i just need that compensation now you can argue that later (laughs) um and i think that's where our approach gets to that um nub quicker
0: um
2: but also allows for that development over time you know with the common law um with its evolution over time to get into that nuance without uh leading to lengthy litigation, which disadvantages the patient and our
1: claimant here.
0: Yeah, and, and you, your, your approach on the basis that it's the patient first. Um, yeah, I, I see that. Um, I think
1: one of the things we're assuming here, um, to, to sort of jump on the point about the, the patient needing compensation, is whether or not the decision was a reasonable one and actually led to the harm. And I think we we risk sort of setting up this, this sort of false dichotomy of, a, of a, a decision that's correct and a decision that's wrong. And in medicine, things are rarely quite that clear cut. So we sort of have this imaginary scenario of, I have a, a patient in front of me, and I believe um, that the correct treatment is treatment A. Treatment A is going to make them better 80 percent of the time and worse 20 percent of the time and in the other 20 percent of scenarios treatment b would be the better treatment um, and it would make them better i believe 20 percent of the time make them worse 80 percent of the time now both of those are plausible treatments obviously treatment a in this scenario is the one that i should choose Um, but if i choose treatment a there is still a one fifth chance that actually the patient comes to harm. Now, if I have an AI system that's recommending treatment B, it may in one fifth of scenarios turn out to have been the correct decision. And that's, that's the real sort of sticking point is when we come to the sort of after the fact where we, we assume that the harm has now occurred and we look back how reasonable was it for me as the clinician to have overruled the AI that was making this 20% call, but actually retrospectively turns out to have been correct? Um, have I been negligent at all as a clinician? Is is there even a case? Yeah, that's
2: really
0: interesting. Kit?
2: Uh, yes. And I think, you know, there's a whole host of cases. Uh, I think, well, where again the patient is put very much front and center um that it's for the clinician you know as part of that range of reasonable responses to make um needs to inform the patient of their thinking um and i think that becomes harder when you're trying to scrutinize what the ai is doing because a lot of those systems are what we might call a black box which is really to say that the systems will produce an output but it's hard to trace um where the algorithm has gone in terms of making that decision you know even in the case where it is right in that tiny percentage of cases um how do we know that you know it, it, it's just correlation and not necessarily causation we can't trace that chain backwards. Whereas in law, we are looking at causation. We do have to try and uh, trace that chain backwards. Um, I wonder if we could bring in the question of product liability, because as a different approach, um, that sort of gets us away from um, those questions of, was this a reasonable course of action? And, um, because it's less to do about uh, what happened and whether there was any negligence on part of the uh, parties, but more about the the machine and the algorithms themselves and whether they're up to the task.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll, you do get into that, Kit. Yeah, please. i will be interested to hear Tom's thoughts on that once you've, once you've covered that.
2: Yeah. So the advantage for the patient with product liability uh, is that The claimant bypasses the clinician entirely. They're not going to sue the hospital. They're not going to sue the doctor. They're not going to sue the nurse. Um, And they go straight to the manufacturer or the developer of the product. Um, And we've had this for uh, coming on 40 years now. It has led to safety improvements um, because it gives that incentive for manufacturers to get it right first time in designing their products. Um, We can all think of consumer appliances, you know, some that just spontaneously burn, burst into flames, you have a claim there in product liability. Um, and uh, But you don't need to prove that anybody was particularly at fault with that. Um, and that gets past that bit of was it a reasonable response for that clinician to apply or to disagree um, with the advice of an algorithm?
0: that that that's interesting kit i mean it, i'm just thinking evidentially what, what what you're getting into there then is proving that the ai system itself is faulty from it from an evidential point of view how would we go about proving that i mean that that to me sounds like that's going to be quite an expensive job uh, have you given any thought to, to that in terms of how, how you know, on, on, on the ground, how that might play out?
2: Yeah. And I, I think this is where it needs to be seen as part of a package. You know, we're not going to discount negligence liability, nor are we going to put all our eggs in the basket of product liability. But there may be cases where it's quite obvious that there's been a defect. It could be, for example, that the uh, the training set was biased towards one particular type of patient, um, but was applied to a different type of patient. And that could be one way of establishing a defect there. I think with that, because it emphasises the harm um, to the claimant, that's much easier to prove because uh, a patient isn't going to be bringing forward a claim unless they can prove that they've uh, suffered harm. and. How have they suffered that harm? You know, if we discount what the actions of the clinician were, which might have been very minimal, it might simply have been plugging the results into uh, the algorithm, the algorithm spits out the output, um, and the clinician just effectively ends up being the messenger for that. I think with there is evidence of a defect um, latent in that. Um, Now, of course, with lots of algorithms being a black box, of course, it can be quite an expensive and lengthy endeavour with that. Um, But I think this is where if it's a more obvious case of defect and loss, that could be a much quicker way um, for the patient to... uh, obtain compensation
0: that's interesting to, to tom the, the product liability angle that tom's talking about there what would be do you agree with that disagree with that i have
1: how... um i'm starting to stray out of my area of expertise but i, I was um discussing this with uh, our team's legal expert dr philip morgan um and i hope he won't be too upset with my probable misunderstanding of what okay to... <laughs> We were we were discussing the, the the sort of product liability side and you know saying it is a very tempting angle to go for but sounds like it is badly in need of updating um, and particularly because I gather it doesn't properly differentiate between hardware and software um, and the the product liability sort of target if you're a a, a a practicing lawyer looking for somebody to sue because your your client your patient is is, is has been harmed. Um, If the hardware and software were delivered together and never updated, then then you've got a nice target to go for potentially. But if there has been any kind of software update um, since delivery, then the whole area becomes a lot more complex and it becomes very, very difficult um, in law to to establish the product liability. And hence the clinician sat there as the sort of closest you know, the, the closest person to the harm um, becomes a nice easy target to go for um and that's that's kind of where the product liability thing falls down um not so much in in terms of uh how it should operate but just in terms of the way it's just not been not been kept up to date in you know but with the way that things work nowadays which is generally that the the hardware comes first and the software is is sort of you know repeatedly updated o- over time mm-hmm. okay You want that?
2: Yeah, uh, and I think Tom and I are in broad agreement um, that a lot of this area is in bad need of reform Um, and neither negligence liability nor product liability are a silver bullet in this regard. Um, And I think uh, we need to look at all of these in the round and include these as all part of our tool set.
0: Okay, I think that's probably a good place to stop. All right, well, thank you very much, both of you. For your time and for your thoughts. Really, really interesting.
2: Thank you very much. Thank
0: you, Thank you for listening to this episode of
1: Lawcast.